This is Jared Murphy from City Limits. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And for today's episode, we're joined by City Council Member Jamani Williams. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Lieutenant Governor candidate. Uh, so we're uh, excited to have you here to talk about um, why you're running for Lieutenant Governor and, and the race ahead. And you've decided to, to jump into this race Um so I guess start us there. Why why are you running for lieutenant governor against an incumbent Democrat like yourself? I haven't been this excited about a race since I first ran, I think, in 2009. I'm just, like, very pumped up about this. But 2018 is an, an important year of uh, what's happening. And I think I know that we haven't held everybody accountable that should be held accountable, not just Republicans, but also Democrats alike. And if we have to be honest about that. And, you know, I've been one to really try my best to push the envelope, and I really see the lieutenant governor's position as an untapped resource to push the envelope. Historically, I say that whomever the governor chose would be his lieutenant governor. I want to be the people's lieutenant governor. I want to reshape how this office can be used to push forward true progressive ideas. You know, Governor Cuomo had a challenge from the left in 2014, and there's been talk about a challenge from the left this year for him. Um, Kathy Hochul is much less talked about. Is your challenge against Kathy Hochul or against sort of Cuomoism and the stamp that he has in the party, his particular brand of democratic politics? Um, I've said and honestly believe that the governor has earned himself a challenge from the left. He's earned himself a primary, and I sincerely hope he gets one. But, um, I am running for the post of lieutenant go uh, governor. Obviously, from the gubernatorial mansion, in general, I don't. I haven't seen sincere leadership on a whole host of issues. I've seen now that someone has checked the political winds. They're blowing progressive, so you put on a progressive cloak that you take on and off. And that's not what we need in these these times. We need somebody who's going to be courageous on his issues, irrespective of what the winds are saying. And if we don't have that, you should have a check. And I want to use that also, Lieutenant Governor. Not to be oppositional for oppositional sake, whoever the governor is, for working on something sincerely, let's do it. If we're not, somebody needs to be able to say the emperor has no clothes. And I haven't seen that person exist, particularly in that office, historically. Can you talk about just how you came to the decision to run for this office? Because, you know, last year this time you were a candidate for re-election for city council. You, you were successfully re-elected. Um, and obviously your constituents in Brooklyn, I'm sure, were excited to have you for another four years. And if you win this race, that won't be the case. So what was your sort of thinking? How did you come to this? And when did you decide this was on your radar screen or that you wanted to go for it? Well, they'll still have me. They'll have me as lieutenant governor. Uh, and there's a whole host of people who are looking at my seat as well. Thankfully, a lot of women, which I'm very excited about. So I know that the district workings, inner workings will be, will be in good hands. You know, I got reelected. I uh, thought about um, running for speaker, which I did. Um, I didn't win. And uh, during that time, I think my name was floated uh, as someone maybe challenging the governor, uh, which is just pretty dope. If you're a city council member and somebody like has your name out there, that's just a cool thing. But I was like, awesome. Uh, but I was focused on uh, the speaker race. But as it came to a close, you know, you started thinking about it, what. What can I do? I mean, I think I've almost a decade in the council. I've really tried to push forward and um, 
be a different type of elected official and really be productive in that, which I think we have. A lot of people believe you can't be an, an activist elected official and produce, and I very much have. And so what can I do other than that? How can I uh, push even further? And then we just, I started looking at, well, what if you did run for governor? What if you did do something else? And you know, my team of folks, we just looked at everything and Lieutenant Governor seemed like a really good place, a viable place, uh, a place you could run a really good race and, and win and use it in a way that people haven't decided. But I do think the governor is weaker than many people think, and so I do hope he gets that primary challenge. But for me, this was the place to be. So hopefully we'll have time to come back to that on the viability of the race and, and your chances of winning and your path, but let's stick maybe with a little more of the substance of the of the challenge and, and why you're doing this. And to say the governor's deserved a, a challenge and to basically say, you know, let's say that Governor Cuomo is the governor and someone needs to be there to say the emperor has no clothes, as you said, um, you know, those are pretty serious uh, statements about a, a democratic governor say a little more about where you think he's come up short. What are those? You said on a whole host of issues. What are a couple of examples of that? Well, you know, just to be clear, right, we have the orange madness going on now, and we have a right to be focused on uh, the orange man in the White House and the Republican cronies, no matter what he does. But I need, I know I'm always clear, but there was fertile ground laid across this country, but before Trump came into office. And not all of it was by Republicans. There were places where there were Democrats running the state, Democrats running cities, Democrats running the city councils, and a lot of things were happening there that people would not consider progressive. So I want to be honest about that, and we have to be honest about our party. And we saw a split from old type of um, politics um, and a new type of politics. And I think that fissure caused us to be where we are now. And if, people, if the party was honest with itself, I think we would not have a Donald Trump. So I just want to be clear about that. Uh, there's a whole bunch of issues but, but that, you know, he. But I can't say that he doesn't do anything good. But, but I can't say that even within the good, there's a lot of mirrors to try to amplify what it is. So but even when you look at housing, but, but this, you know, I'm a community organizer, tenant organizer by training. This is before people knew who Barack Obama was. So I would say I'm a tenant organizer. People thought I was talking about tennis. But, but that, was, that really <laughs> did happen. But, and uh, they would talk about getting tennis lessons, and I have to explain what it is I, I actually do. Uh, but but the, the truth of the matter is you look at the laws that are or aren't on the books and the type of money that goes into the gubernatorial mansion on campaign side, and you wouldn't be surprised. I mean, here in the city, not being able to strengthen the rent regulation laws, the, the, the massive debacle of 421A. Uh, and as I'm traveling across the state, I'm seeing homelessness and housing issues that are consistent with the concerns that we have here in New York City. It's, it's, it's amazing. This is on the tip of, of everyone's tongue. But, and, you know, it's Cuomo's housing crisis. There's so much more that could be doing. But even where I give credit, like the Tenant Protection Unit, which is great, but um, we wouldn't need it if he would do what was needed for the laws to begin with. But similar things when it comes to transportation, Cuomo's MTA. But, but, um, there's a whole host of issues that could be happening there. I'm learning as I travel the state, transportation is not just a, a New York City issue. There are people yearning for public transportation, yearning for transportation infrastructure in their cities and their towns that they don't have. The education uh, can be fiscal equity. I used to be concerned about New York City, what was not going here. You're finding out in towns and cities across the state, but they're also not getting uh, what they need. But you look at what he says he did with Excelsior uh, versus what actually is happening on the ground for students. But you look at what he said he did with fracking 
and we need to see what's now coming out with the Joe uh, Prococo trial. But so there's a lot of mirrors when the things he's saying he's doing and not actually. When you look at the Buffalo Billion, look at the jobs that he says bring. These things need to be called out so that we can make it more real and, and push it further. You mentioned, you know, traveling upstate and being aware now of the concerns they have up there. And I'm curious, as a downstate candidate in New York, there's always the question about, you know, what are the blinders that a New York City person has um, when dealing with, with the vastness of upstate New York? And uh, so far, have you encountered any issues that you think are important that maybe aren't on the radar screen here, or that maybe a New York City resident would not necessarily agree with that you think uh, is something that needs to be on the agenda? Well, uh, surprisingly, people may not know I actually ran a statewide organization called Tenants and Neighbors. Um, uh, they had uh, ten tentacles in a lot of places. They're a little small. So I had done some traveling and did remain uh, friends with some folks upstate. That's been helpful. Uh, but what I'm learning, what I've always tried to come at is most people want the same things. You know, good place to send your kids to school, good food on the table, and uh, a safe place to lay your head. And there's barriers in different regions, barriers in different cultures that prevent that from happening. I've always figured my job as an elected official is to figure out what the barriers are in that particular community and then try to knock them down. So they've been similar across the board. I have been surprised with learning in, kind of in rural country how important immigration is to the farmers. So in a place that might people may think of as more conservative, they're actually concerned because their farm workers are uh, subject to deportation very often. And so now they can be allies that people may not have even thought of. But the housing piece, again, there's now a downstate, upstate alliance that's being put together because people are beginning to see um, how closely related the housing issues are. In the Hudson Valley, there are things that we saw happening in the city years ago that's now beginning to happen there in terms of the housing crisis as well. But I saw, uh, uh, was it a small shanty town? I believe it was in either Syracuse or Rochester but, uh, that I was, I was surprised to see. Uh, so the issues are similar. They look a little different, but they're really kind of based in, in the same things. Kathy Hochul um, has been the Governor Cuomo's lieutenant governor now for this second term of his. He had a different lieutenant governor in the first term, Bob Duffy. Um, it seems like Hochul will again be his running mate, so we're assuming that's your competition in the primary. Um, what have you, do you have an evaluation of her job performance? I mean, at some point, obviously, there's going to be a little bit of a separation between sort of just talking about Cuomo and things that she's pushed and things that she says are um, initiatives that she's really taken on, even if they're under the Cuomo umbrella. Uh, for example, she's been out there as the leader of this women's agenda that, that they recently unveiled. Um, do you have specific critiques of, of her and her job performance? Are there things, you know, she's tried to overcome some questions about votes she took in Congress, you know, what do you make of, of her policies and her approach to the job? Uh, first, it's just important. I don't. You skipped over something I don't want to skip over because it's it gets to the crux of who this particular governor is. He did have a governor, a lieutenant governor before. He has one now. Uh, he attempted to get another one again, so he kind of just switches people out depending what he needed. I think at a certain time he thought he needed a more conservative candidate. And he found one. I think he thought he needed a more progressive um, uh, candidate. Now he tried to find one. didn't work out so well. And so I just want to make sure we put You're that saying out. he tried to get rid of Hochul? Yeah, there was some rumors about someone else uh, coming in. It didn't quite work out. But, that's but we don't know if that was exactly We don't. There was happened. a lot of, lot of conjecture. 
that seem to have a lot of basis in it. So okay. I, I will not say I can confirm it, but okay. it seems to have a lot of basis uh, in it. And um, so that's important to point out. But, but again, I do. Um, I am looking at the office as a whole, and most of what I've seen as office as a whole are people parroting whatever the governor is and doing ribbon cuttings, which is great. I don't want to get rid of ribbon cuttings because uh, they're nice. But you, but you do have to um, do more than that. And I see why it's been that way, but, but I want to change it. I really believe you have to have somebody. I, I've likened it to the public, act, public advocate's office in New York City. I, there should be someone like that across the state, someone who, who can say this is not happening or this is happening and shine a light. I haven't seen that happen historically from the lieutenant governor's office. And as I said, um, you know, there have been people who, who've raised questions about Kathy Hochul, who's from, you know, western New York, Buffalo area, um, you know, having some past conservative positions, which she says she's evolved on, whether it's gun control, immigration, um, you know, that's been, that's been a similar, there's been a similar line of discussion and a, attack with you with a couple of social issues around marriage equality, around reproductive choice. Um, I know you've been getting asked this a lot, but for our listeners, um, can you explain, uh, has, there, has there sort of been an evolution that you've gone through, or where do you stand on those two major issues? Well, the, I, I love being asked about it, because the more I'm asked about it, uh, the more people who haven't heard me uh, can hear me. One state that I support uh, marriage equality, and I support a woman's right to access safe and legal abortions, um, and I support codifying Roe v. Wade in New York State to protect the women of New York State if the orange man gets his way. Some of the differences you compared in the comparisons of what um, the lieutenant governor's issues were and my issues, I've actually been pretty consistent uh, in voting patterns and even discussing these issues. My overarching belief, I do have spiritual and religious beliefs, but the overarching belief that has pushed me forward has been equity and justice and making sure that I do that. And I've been pretty consistent in all of the answers that I've given. Um, albeit some of it previously was muddled in a bunch of things. So we wanted to make sure that we clarified. And so the, the, the top line answer is my support for marriage equality, uh, my belief in marriage equity, uh, my belief that women and reproductive justice has to be fought for and that the GOP attacks on them are outrageous and are dangerous. And I've said similar things in the past. So it's been more consistent uh, than the comparison uh, that was made with the lieutenant governor. And just one point of clarification there. So I think, I mean, I think some of what we're getting at is sort of in the past, you said I might have some personal beliefs that are rooted in personal experience and faith, but my public policy record is not that, is different. I don't vote based on that. I don't legislate based on that. So is that still what you're saying, or are you saying your personal beliefs have changed? What I'm saying is my, my personal beliefs in religious and faith have always guided me, and they always will. Even when I answered that question, my answer was that because of that, the overriding answer has to do with justice, equity, and protection. And so I've always made sure everything I did uh, and voted on and policy supported were based on that. And it's been actually consistent. Um, it's actually encouraging to me, it, disappointing, but encouraging to hear some of the attacks. You don't, we've, we've learned you don't actually need facts or backup to start a whisper campaign. Uh, so that, that's what's happening. But I know that I have such a strong record on actually a whole host of human rights issues, uh, including the ones that you mentioned about the lieutenant governor. But I have a whole host of experience on all of those human rights issues, including LGBT, GNC, uh, and 
women's reproductive rights and women's issues in general. I believe every every issue is a woman's issue. Um, but I have a whole host of body of work that can't be attacked. So you kind of would have to start a whisper, whisper campaign because you really don't have much else to work on, particularly if you want to talk about progressive issues. But I have a boss bill now that's commonly called a boss bill, which basically I didn't realize that it wasn't illegal for an employer to discriminate against someone because of their reproductive decisions. So we have a bill that parrots something in the, in the, in the state to try to make that illegal. When I did my uh, Community Safety Act several years ago, it was actually the largest expansion of uh, LGBT one of the largest expansions at that time of LGBT community because we made sure sexual orientation was under the protection of bias-based policing. Uh, so these are not new uh, issues for me. These are not new things that I fight for. Justice and equity have been paramount in everything I do. So the question about, you know, people refer to it as identity politics for last, lack of a, a, another phrase. And, you know, this is a, a year when uh, there's a lot of cons concern and, and productive talk about power and, and women and gender. And in the city especially, a lot of concern about representation of women. The city council has far fewer women in this session than in the past. Um, you're running for an office that's currently held by a woman. You know, you could have run for governor and challenged a man. You could have run for one of the other statewide offices and challenged a man. You could have run for, you know, some sort of state legislative office and probably challenged a man. But you're challenging a woman. And so someone who's concerned about women representation might say, well, what does that mean? We're, you know, voting for Jumani Williams could mean losing one of the more high-profile, uh, at least by rank, women politicians in the state. How would you answer that? Uh, that's very important. Uh, this is the year of the woman. Um, I, I want to push that as, as much as possible and support that. Uh, I would say uh, Nina Turner, who is uh, an amazing woman and a rock star on the left, uh, had a quote that I love, which is, any blue won't do. And I think it's similar for identity politics. I see a need, people kind of poo-poo identity politics. There is a need for that in, 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 in the discussion. It is important for young people to see themselves in leadership. I believe overarching though, it is important to see the correct people in leadership. So just having someone there to have them is probably harmful, more harmful to that community. So you want to make sure you have people that don't just fit the identity, but actually doing the job and pushing the issues that people care about. And as I said, historically in the lieutenant governor's position, I just haven't seen that happen. And I was looking to find a space where we can really push issues, where I can use my skill set, uh, my voice, and be able to push issues. I've been quite successful, uh, I believe, on the council. And this seemed to be a great place to do that. But, um, it's sort of a little amusing to me when I hear identity politics uh, because uh, some of the people who are raising it uh, when we were trying to raise uh, having a black speaker, it didn't seem to have the same um, thoughts. So that's pretty amusing to me. Curious, um, as the campaign goes on, uh, we'll also be getting closer to 2020, and obviously it is possible that Governor Cuomo will be a candidate for president. If that were to occur, uh, the person who's lieutenant governor would become governor. I'm curious, do you think that the governor, that others will raise the question of your ability to step into that office? Do you expect to have to answer questions not just about being a lieutenant governor, but about potentially being the top guy? Well, I expect to answer questions that, of every sort that have to do with my record, that have to do with me as a council member, that have to do with me and my ability to be the best lieutenant governor I can be, and possibly be the best governor if that should happen. Now, I'm not, I'm not running because I think I have the potential to become a governor. I'm running because I think we can reshape 
what this office is and really provide a voice. Um, you know, if and when I win and the time came, I have a job to do. That that just goes without saying. I'm prepared to do it. But right now I'm prepared to be lieutenant governor of the state. You mentioned uh, strengthening rent regulations, education funding, fixing mass transit. Um, are there other issues that you are going to run on, or is your focus really on what you just said about reinventing the position and making it much more of like the public advocate on the state level, which is a lot more, I guess, balanced between your priorities and trying to take in what people want and, and act on that? I think it's a, it's a mix, but it does start a lot with the latter, kind of reshaping what this office is. But based on the issues that I've fought for, my entire electoral career, and even before, um, and those are the primary issues. I mean, there's a, other issues that are, that are coming up. Of course, immigration is a huge one, and we live in a sanctuary city that needs some assistance in maintaining that status. We definitely need some assistance in being a sanctuary state because there are places across the the uh, state with that's probably not as much true. I was shocked to learn in Rochester that ICE kind of hangs out in the bus stations there. Um, I think people will be shocked to to learn that, uh, learning about what's happening with fracking and how that connects and other climate uh, issues as is a problem. That's a huge issue upstate, uh, by the way, um, the, the climate change issue. Um, one, one of your signature issues um, has been gun violence and preventing gun violence, obviously. Um, that's something where the governor has a pretty major accomplishment on. Is that is the SAFE Act something you give him a lot of credit on? Is that one of those areas where you say... It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. It's not as good as it should be. What's your take on that? So I would say there's there's not a lot of smoke. There's probably some mirrors, but but look, the safe since the Safe Act passed, um, you know, mass shootings have gone shootings either shootings or mass shootings have gone down eighteen percent. But it's hard thing to do, so you have to give some credit there. I definitely think we need to need to and have to move further. But resting on the laurels of the Safe Act in the face of a full on assault. But, is not a good idea. And so every time it's brought up, you deserve some credit, but what have you done since then? And I always want to make sure we, we parse out when it comes to gun violence, supply and demand, because sometimes people mix up the two and talk about solutions for one and not the other. So supply is the guns that are coming into our communities. The SAFE Act tried to deal with that a little bit, and they were somewhat successful. We do have to do more. And then it's demand, the pension for violence. What's happening in these communities that are causing people to pick up a gun? I don't think the what's coming out of the governor mansion has gone nearly as far on the demand side across the state dealing with those issues. New York City, and I'm proud to have been one of the leading voices, has done a lot on that issue. Um, and we have been quite successful here um, in dealing with better policing, in dealing with addressing the demand. We have a crisis management system. Um, shout out to the Cure Violence Groups, and we have an Office of Gun Violence Prevention that I think many people can learn from. We committed real dollars to that. So we started out at $5 million um, pilot program. We're up to about 30. Um, the governor should match something like that. That should come out of the gubernatorial. There are places when I go across the state that have pockets of uh, gun violence that's happening. And the funding that we've allotted to that statewide pales. So enough about the issues. Let's talk about politics. Um, so this morning I was uh, looking at the county-by-county county breakdowns of the 2014 lieutenant governor's race because I do that every Thursday morning. <laughs> and it's interesting. Um, 
upstate and in the city, it was 60-40, perfect breakdown. Even in Kings County, it was 60-40 that uh, Tim Wu got against Kathy Hochul. And that was in a race where you had a you know, fairly high-profile challenge to the governor, obviously bringing a lot of people on the left out, fairly low turnout primary. How do you, how do you cut into that? Um, and especially the question of, of money, because Kathy Hochul did raise, I think it was like $1.3 million in 2014. She's not anything like that now, but you have to amass some money too. So what's the, what's the path for you? So it's interesting. I, I believe uh, Tim did slightly better than uh, Zephyr in winning, and he, he did, lost yeah. New York City as well. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he only raised roughly $150,000. And so he did all that with that. And so now... Uh, I believe my candidacy is immediately viable, and I think, and I know people see it, and we've we've gotten some attacks from the governor's side, and I was like, yes, that means they came out early, that means they see the viability as well. That actually was part of the reason I decided to just make the jump, like the viability was there. One of the largest county is Brooklyn County, um, 80,000 votes, 60% there. Uh, if, if we can flip that, we're doing a, a, a hell of a job. I believe uh, that's a county I do pretty well in. <laughs> uh, having come from Brooklyn, I haven't spent a lot of time there. I think I'll do pretty well in New York City uh, right off the bat. Definitely won't be taking New York City for granted. I'm going to put a lot of um, hours in New York City. And I think we're going to do better than some people think we will upstate. Um, just in that when I did that listening tour, again, I, was, I didn't expect to have the turnout that we had in such short notice, two days notice. You know, 8 a.m. at a diner in Rochester, 30 people were there, including elected officials, 60 people in Buffalo. Um, I, was, I was blown away. We just had a, uh, another quick tour with the day's notice. Uh, the mayor of New Pulse came out. We had uh, dozens of people in, in Kingston. So people are hungry. And we've picked up endorsements across the state from local elected officials. We have our first official Jemani for New York committee in Buffalo. I believe we'll pick up uh, another one or two in the next couple of weeks. So there's going to be real grassroots there. We do know we have to uh, raise money. We will. But we're not going to beat them in raising money. So that we're not even going to try. We're going to raise enough money to be able to run a very real campaign and base it on uh, the grassroots efforts. We picked up the People for Bernie's um, endorsement, which I think was huge. I didn't expect to get that as soon as I did. I think we'll get some more surprises in the next couple of weeks. Look, last time, there were no elected officials that I remember that went with Zephyr, uh, Tim. I came out the gate with seven or eight. Um, that's exciting. Yeah, that, that was that was a bit surprising to me in your in your kickoff at City Hall to hear you have some elected officials there with you, state state legislative and city council members, mm -hmm. and be able to list even a few that weren't there with you. Um, I think that that caught me at least a little bit by surprise that you, that you had those folks ready to go out there and do something that they knew would upset the most powerful Democrat in the state. Um, so there's. You know, in the Democratic primary, there's progressive groups like People for Bernie and some of these indivisible groups mm -hmm. that have propped up. And, you know, there's a lot of attention on the IDC. And, you know, so there's a lot of energy out there that the Bernie Sanders campaign and then, of course, the Trump win and IDC stuff have all mixed together to, to get going. But there's also the labor unions are a pretty big piece of the puzzle. And I think you've had a very good relationship with a lot of those unions. But they would seem to me to be very unlikely to back someone who is opposing Governor Cuomo for all intents and purposes. Um, do you have any hopes of getting labor support? Is that something you're actively pursuing, or are you ready to just write, write that off? Actively we, we, saw, we saw 1199, for example, already endorsed the governor, I think, yesterday. Yeah, actively pursuing um, all labor angers, not taking anything for granted. 
um, would very much welcome their support. Um, I, have, I, I know and understand why some leadership have to do certain things, but having to speak in the members themselves as well, um, when they're in the voting booth, they'll be there, voting booth, they'll be there by themselves, and they'll be able to vote their conscience. I know for a fact there is a lot of anger out there uh, toward the gubernatorial mansion. And there's some folks that may have to do certain things but are excited it, to, to see what a, a Cuomo Williams mansion would look like. And so um, that alone, I think, is a lot of people pushing forward. So I'm not taking anything for granted. Uh, either way, I think we're going to have a lot of membership people with us. As we move toward the end, this uh, qu last question for me is uh, bringing it back to city politics for a minute and your, your current nine to five. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the past few weeks under the new council of the um, reduction and in influence of the progressive caucus and what effect that might have. And one of the events toward the end of the last session that appears to have had some effect on that is the argument over the Right to Know Act, and especially the break that occurred in the last day of session uh, among people on the caucus, Richie Torres being on one side of the issue and you and Brandt Lander and some others on the other. Do you feel as though that episode did damage the caucus? Do you have any regrets about how that played out? Are you worried about the impact of the caucus's apparently reduced influence on legislative output in this session? By the way, that was the closest vote that I think the the uh, council has taken probably in all the years I've been here, uh, which, is, which says a lot because it was, as you mentioned, Brad I and, and, and some of the movement folks against... Um, for lack of a better word, Richie, the speaker, the mayor, and the police commissioner. So um, I think that turned out pretty well, much closer than folks thought. I'm actually more concerned about the policy implications of that um, than anything else. I want to make sure that we continue to push on the reforms that are needed and cleaning up whatever things we weren't able to, to clean up. But the Progressive Caucus, you know, had a huge win when we came in uh, with the speaker, Speaker Melissa Marco Since then, I think it's been trying to find um, uh, our place in what exists now. I don't have regrets about doing the right thing. I generally don't, so that's fine. I don't think any additional fraction happened with that vote. I think it was in a precarious place to begin with. It was also the end of a session. So an end of a session is always going to be some kind of tumult as people are getting into place. There's new leadership now. I'm looking forward to seeing what that leadership uh, uh, does. Um, you just, naturally speaking, when you exist with a clear opposition, that people gets people more united. And when it was Melissa Margarito, and even now, uh, Speaker Corey Johnson, who came from uh, the Progressive Caucus, you now have to find what it is you're going to do because you, at least on paper, have an ally. And so uh, my hope is that we'll just continue pushing. Uh, and, and I did that in the last term. I plan to do that in this term. Um, but the Speaker, so far, um, I like what I'm seeing in a lot of areas, and hopefully uh, that, that stays as we, as we move forward. You know, um, there was a lot of talk of what I got and didn't got, which was didn't get, which was humorous to me because there was things I didn't ask for because I knew I had a possible plan to run for lieutenant governor, so I wasn't going to ask for things. You mean in terms of leadership and committee chairs? Yeah, and things there, like there that. was. Right. So I, it was fun to just hear everybody talk about it, and I'm like, Ey. I guess you have to discuss things from the paradigm you know. But, um, but I did maintain my deputy leader position, and there's a new task force on workplace equity, which stemmed from my concerns about not having. Um, the, the, the proper diversity 
from the state all the way down. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about uh, what the future holds, and hopefully the Progressive Caucus with the new leadership uh, will be on, on, a, on a much tighter road to hold everybody accountable. Forgive me for jumping right back to wrap up with, with the lieutenant governor race. Um, I do have plenty of other city council questions I could ask, but we'll hold off on those. Um, I wanted to just follow up the progressive groups and the labor unions. You know, they've sort of formed the core of the Working Families Party, although there's been some fracture there in part because uh, related to the governor. Um, is the Working Families Party uh, backing something you expect? Um, and do you, whether it's Terry Gibson, the former state senator, who's out there sort of exploring or campaigning, it seems like he's sort of made it official, but not made it official, but he's out there campaigning against the governor. There's others that are considering it, as you've alluded to. Um, so I guess two parts. Do you expect the Working Families Party backing? And do you expect to sort of formally form a ticket with somebody? Um, well, I expect a strong work. I am actively seeking the endorsement of the Working Families Party, but I believe of the work I've done with them and the work we've done together for the past nine years. Uh, they endorsed me when I ran uh, for the first time uh, and the second and, and third time I obviously had their, their support. So I think with that, I, I think it's a very strong um, push to get their support. And so I'm doing that and, and, and going through uh, the normal process to do that. And I very much hope to have their support uh, in the next couple of months to, to bolster the campaign. Uh, with or without it, though, we're going forward and, and we're going to have a very strong infrastructure uh, to push forward and win. Uh, and win. Uh, Terry Gibson, I think, is a, a great person. Um, I've met with him. I've met with Stephanie Miner. I briefly interacted with Cynthia Nixon a few times. But, uh, as I mentioned, I think the governor has earned the primary. hope he gets one. But um, I'm focused on my race, the lieutenant governor's race, so we'll see what happens. I would say it's exciting to have the prospect of uh, as you, as some, I think it was you that alluded to um, the um, year of the woman. Um, having a woman governor is just an exciting prospect uh, to entertain. And I, I guess I'll just close by noting, as you did, that if you are successful in the Democratic primary and Governor Cuomo successful in his primary, you would be an actual formal ticket on the general election Wouldn't ballot. That so that would be that would be quite interesting. Um, so. Jamani Williams, city council member and candidate for lieutenant governor. Thanks for the time. We'll be uh, following the race closely. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Thank you.